0: My friend Misty Tempolis put it this way, Though our beloved performances are on hiatus, Artslandia's mission to elevate and celebrate the arts remains steadfast. It seems more important than ever to keep our souls nourished. We are pressing ahead with our work to celebrate the confluence of human connection, even though its expression must temporarily shift. In this unique space of uncertainty, we've decided that the energy we usually pour into elevating the arts will go toward uplifting our community. Instead of cultivating engagement with the arts, we'll cultivate hope. We'll celebrate its power and the beauty of having, sharing, and believing in it. Check in daily to artslandia.com for podcasts and happy hours. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Adventures in Artslandia. I'm Susanna Mars. So connecting with people is what I do in my work, and needless to say, where we are right now has completely disabled that in many ways. But thanks to Mike Moore at Dead Aunt Thelma's, I get to connect with people anyway. So today, I have a bunch of friends and a new friend, Keisha Jarrett, Barbie Wu, Meredith K. Clark, Duffy Epstein, Omar Alakad. Now, who the devil did I forget? Is that it? Yes, it is. Okay, I got it all. That's so impressive. So, um, everybody, welcome, and thank you so much for being with me today and to read Omar's story, Government Slots. My pleasure. So happy to be here. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's hard with a large group because no one can see when anyone else is going to talk. <laughs>
1: <laughs> can't Eye not contact. Everybody
0: yeah well first things first before we do anything um it's somebody's birthday today you're kidding yeah oh my gosh and it's that person it's Duffy Epstein's birthday so we're gonna (laughs) sing happy birthday to this guy (laughs) we're gonna sing happy birthday to Duffy today okay you guys ready (laughs) Yeah. Huh? Happy, Happy
2: birthday, birthday. to <laughs> you Oh, this
3: is awkward Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to you, to you. you. Happy, birthday. Birthday. Happy birthday Happy <laughs>
4: birthday Happy birthday to Happy birthday to you, you.
1: <laughs> That oh, no. was I don't want to get any older I don't want wow.
2: that to happen Wow <laughs> That was magic.
1: Oh, special. <laughs> so, oh,
0: you know, magic. it's thank a time you, of everyone. experimentation.
1: Yes. Yes. Everything's very different now, for sure. Well,
0: well, I wanted to wish you a happy birthday. I know um, lots you, of people honey. will want to send you love. So have a fabulous day. Thank you.
3: <laughs>
0: Sounds like the end, but it's just the beginning of this podcast.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, all right. So, Thanks Omar. for joining
0: us. <laughs> Omar, tell us a little bit about when you wrote this story and what inspired you.
3: Um, so a couple of years back, I got I got an email from um, this indie publisher up in Edmonton called uh, Hingston and and they sort of specialize in, in these limited edition um, anthologies. And every year they do one called the Short Story Advent Calendar. And so what it is is basically 25 short stories and it's basically an advent calendar with short stories instead of chocolate and they asked me to be a part of it. And I've been playing around with this idea of a story about um, sort of what we take with us if we could. Um, you know, this notion of, of how you approach not knowing uh, and there seemed to me to be no greater piece of not knowing than what happens after all of this, um, you know, after we're on the other side of being alive. And so I started playing around with it for a while and I sent it in and I was pretty certain that they would not accept it. Uh, and I <laughs> threw in a Christmas reference just to try and make it a little more Christmassy in the hopes that it would aid in the oh, it's uh, acceptance. Best, so. Yeah, it was, yeah, right? It takes place sort of around Christmas, I guess. Um, but really has absolutely nothing to do with, with the theme of anything. Um, and they were <laughs> kind enough to take it. And, uh, you know, it's it's short stories are, are weird things. They They sort of have weird lives um you know very few people bought this thing it was a very small uh, print run and then a few weeks ago I found out that it's being included in the uh, best Canadian stories uh, 2020 anthology so it'll have like a short little second burst of life uh in the fall um but it was an interesting story because it was not something um that I would have written had I not been approached randomly by an indie publisher in Edmonton
0: So this is a perfect time for everybody to give a shout out to their favorite indie bookstore where they can probably order that book.
3: Yes. Broadway Books, if you're in if you're in Portland, uh, please support them. They are excellent. They're so, so good. Um, And I'll leave it just for Portland, because otherwise I'm going to go on a rant uh, about many, many other bookstores. But um, Broadway has been has been very, very good and they support they deserve your support.
0: Anybody else have a bookstore they want to give a shout out to?
5: I was going to say Broadway books as well. Me so. too. <laughs> so three yeah, cheers. I live
1: right by there. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> I'm behind that
0: 100%. Cool. So if you need to get Duffy a birthday present, sounds like Broadway ah, books is the I'll, place to go.
1: <laughs> if it's over $100, I'll just be embarrassed. I will.
0: So, <laughs> so um, a weirdo story is perfect for this group of weirdos.
3: Mm.
0: <laughs> also, I, I wanted to tell everybody that... How I met Omar was he was going to be hosting the Oregon Book Awards, and in fact, we were supposed to have an interview last week, and of course, everything's upside down now, so you can go to literaryarts.org to find out who all the finalists are, and also when the awards will be given out, given these strange times. But now, we're going to read uh, a story by Omar, and Keisha's going to start us off, and
2: Omar, would you be able to say your last name, just so that I can make sure I say it correctly? Sure, it's uh, Elikad. Elikad. Okay. Government Slots by Omar Elikad. Three brown dahlias, pressed and dried, a photograph of a meadow in spring, a compass. In the morning, just after we open, an old woman comes in. She stands in line, there's always a line, though never a long one and passes through the metal detector without setting it off. It's Christmas Day, and we are, as far as I can tell, the only state or federal building open. We're open every day. You never know. The old woman makes her way past security and over to the ticket spitter. She takes a number and sits down on one of the gray plastic chairs bolted to the floor. She waits until a man at one of the inspection desks calls her number, then she stands, removes her paperwork from her handbag, and shuffles over. Without speaking, the man takes her papers. Identification, social security, proof of ownership. He looks through them, disinterested. The Hmm. old woman waits. Finally, the inspector sets the papers aside. From a desk drawer, he retrieves a blank deposit form. All right, he says, let's see what you got. The woman reaches into her purse and pulls out a small sandwich bag full of cloud white fur. She slides it across the table. The inspector picks up the bag, cautious, with the tips of his thumb and index finger. He stares at it as a jogger might stare at roadkill, repulsed, but not repelled, curious about the insides of things. A dog, the inspector asks. Bichon Frise, the old woman replies. That's a dog? Yes. The inspector starts to say something and sighs and waves over to one of his colleagues at the next desk. His colleague comes over and he too picks up the bag, turns it over in his hand, holds it against the light. Dog fur? The inspector says. His colleague nods, then shakes his head. Not allowed, he says. Nothing perishable, nothing alive. This isn't perishable, the old woman replies. This isn't alive. Both inspectors look at each other, and when one shrugs and shakes his head again, the other does the same. Sorry, they both say, almost in unison. This is usually the point where there'd be a fight, when the customer would demand to see a manager or start threatening lawsuits. Sometimes security gets involved. Sometimes things get undignified. But the old woman does none of this. Carefully, she puts the bag of fur back into her handbag and walks away. Uh, Look, if you want, you can go around to the office and ask for an exemption, one of the inspectors says to the old woman as she leaves. But she doesn't turn, doesn't acknowledge him, looks ashamed and annoyed to feel ashamed, the way all men do when they're forced to look at the underside of their boots. The old woman leaves. I watch her disappear into the blue December light. And then I go back to mopping. It's important we keep the floors clean at the government slots. People get upset if the floors aren't clean.
1: An endorsement letter signed by a cardinal. A miniature compendium of prayers for the dead. A pack of condoms. You're taught in school that it was an oil speculator who found it. Somewhere out in southwest Arizona where now they've got a museum and a gift shop Uh, you can't get within 10 miles of the mine itself without written permission and an armed escort. In winter, the wrens swirl around the place, little black dollops of life against the endless, flush red land. It was an accident. The speculator was busy tearing the ground open with dynamite and pressure pumps. One day, the dust clears, and what he sees at the bottom of the crater is this purple-grey metal, shards of it everywhere. It's softer than it looks, but not malleable by hand. It's light, but not too light. He doesn't know what to make of it, what value it might have. He takes a sample to a friend of his, a physicist and metallurgical engineer. He leaves it with her for a few days, and when he comes back, She's still staring at it, dumbfounded. He asks her what it's made of, and she says, nothing anyone's ever seen before. It's a new square on the periodic table, the insides of its atoms at once indecipherable and coherent. For years, there's great excitement, mostly in academic circles. There's a naming ceremony, a slew of papers published in Nature and Science, But what the speculator wants is a commercial use, and for a long time there is none, save for its novelty, it offers nothing. Slowly interest fades, even among researchers, and eventually it's only the metallurgical engineer who still dedicates herself to studying the metal. For the most part, work comes to nothing. But one experiment yields unexpected results. The metal's fundamental physical properties change when it's made to form an enclosure, a closed space. From this finding, the engineer develops a theory about containment. She posits that a space enclosed by this metal has properties of superposition. And in this way, there's a place to which anything enclosed this way might travel. A distant but interlocked point on the other side of the universe perhaps or another universe altogether she builds a small airtight box and as an homage to her favorite physicist she places a cat's collar inside at first she checks on it hourly then daily then once a month she tries running a current through it tries raising and lowering the temperature she tests the metal's reaction to organic matter She smears it with drops of her own blood. She subjects the thing to pressure, stress, violence. She almost burns her lab to the ground trying. Eventually, within certain academic circles, the engineer becomes a laughing stock of sorts, her name a shorthand for her futility. She retreats from the world. The cat's collar sits in the box for years, untouched. Decades later, on her deathbed, she exhales for a last time and in, in that moment, the friends and family assembled by her side hear a loud crumpling from her hallway closet, a sound like a hundred bones snapping at once. When they check the closet, they find the box collapsed in on itself. They pry it open and find it empty. Hearing of this, the speculator remembers his friend's old theory about the metal as a conduit of passage. He's by now nearing death himself, a prosperous but strangely unfulfilling life behind him. He commissions the building of a similar box for himself and all the staff at his mining company. He marks his with a drop of blood, asks his staff to do the same. Some do, many refuse. He places a pocket Bible in his box. He keeps it by his bedside, and at the moment of his death, there comes the same crumpling. The Bible inside disappears. From such smallness, a universe is formed.
4: Three chocolate chips cookies smuggled. A small plush unicorn, its horn half-severed. A photo album titled, Your Grandchildren. What you get, by law, is a box the size of a fist. Everyone who can prove citizenship gets one. No different than a passport or the right to vote. Out here at the North Coast Station, would cover most residents in the 707 area code. They haven't split it up yet. And that makes us one of the biggest stations in the state. Maybe the country. You can see it from miles away on the turnpike. This huge gray building that looks like a row of office towers laid on their sides. The bureaucracy sits in the building out front, a couple of offices where you can get your power of attorney forms approved, or appeal an inspector's decision, or get on a wait list as soon as a doctor signs a probable viable pregnancy form. Otherwise, it's just the after boxes. Hallways and hallways, rows upon rows, a storehouse of all the things people believe will follow them into the next life. You can see the building from space, they say. It looks like fingers, like a hand reaching out. A tiny vial of blood, smuggled.
5: A Swiss army knife, 12 gold coins. Out in the hills, there's a billionaire with a box the size of a dozen airplane hangers. Inside, he's been building a facsimile of the neighborhood he grew up in and a facsimile of the estate he lives on now. He's building a grain silo and a water tower, a seed vault and a gun locker, a bunker, and a stockpile of antibiotics. By law, the doors of the box must stay open while there are workers inside. A
0: yearbook page. Not far from the original mine in Arizona, the cops found a cult commune, its members all gone but one. In a small cabin at the center of the ranch, the spiritual leader's assistant sat next to the leader's body, whispering a small chant of gratitude. On the other side of the property, outside a sealed, shack sized box, they found a fading mandala in the sand and a hundred pairs of shoes.
2: A Recipe for Bunt Cake you drive a few miles south of here, into the Bay Area proper, you'll find the Green Hospice, where people go to die altruistically. Years ago, a technology baron donated money to build a box the size of a single-family home. And at all times, the box is filled with refuse, landfill trash, nuclear waste, contaminated material from the Superfund sites. Every time a resident of the Green Hospice is on the verge of dying, the box is marked with a sample of their hair or blood, and in dying, they rid the world a small piece of its ugliness. The hospice is run by orthodox ascensionists. They believe the next world to be a place of infinite space and infinite grace, and so believe it a sin not to use one's death this way, as a cleansing rite. They post pictures of every deceased, along with a picture of the garbage they take with them, and a small note of thanks. Should everyone choose to die in this way, they say, the world would be made significantly cleaner.
1: Underwear. Last Christmas, the Supreme Court ruled against the assisted dying facility in Burlington. In the year since, All 54 petitioners in that case have died, only not together and not without pain.
4: A bottle of aspirin, a purple heart, war and peace in miniature print. Around noon, a woman and her son walk in. The boy is maybe six years old and too thin. There's a strange device strapped to his arm. It looks like a clear phone case, and there's some kind of liquid inside. A tube snakes from the case to a needle in the crook of the boy's arm. It appears painful, and he can't bend his arm, but he looks happy. It must be the case that sets off the metal detector, but the security guard waves the woman and the boy through anyway. The woman takes a number, but she doesn't get two steps towards the chairs before an inspector calls her ahead of everyone else. And if anyone in the waiting area thinks this is unfair they don't say it the woman has all kinds of paperwork but the inspector doesn't look at it he smiles at the boy instead and asks him what he's got there in his hand a transformer the boy says that's so cool the inspector replies the inspector leads the woman and her son down a hallway i follow them keeping my distance i watch the inspector opens an empty slot Each slot sits atop a scale, and every time the weight of the slot drops for an instant to almost nothing, a little light on the slot's lid turns from red to ember to green. The inspector takes a gloved hand and makes a small show of pulling a single hair from the boy's head, pretends it's a magic trick of sorts. The boy laughs. The inspector places the hair in a tiny compartment within the slot's lid, and on the lid's digital screen, a check mark appears. I've seen this before. This isn't how it's supposed to be done. There are rules, procedures. It's all yours, the inspector says. He pushes the slot inward and it pops out, revealing the inner compartment. The boy gently tries to place his, his toy inside, but it won't fit. The inspector's face drops, but the boy says, Hold on. Awkwardly, with one hand, he manipulates the toy turns it from robot to car, and as a car, it just barely fits. The inspector says, yay, and the boy says, yay. And as the slot slides close, the boy's mother breaks down crying. A scented candle, a wristwatch, a taser.
5: There are protesters in the parking lot. It's a bigger crowd than usual. Usually, we get them on Sundays and on Christmas Day, and today happens to be both. On one side of the lot, the Second Amendment people are demonstrating against the handgun ban. It's said the standard box size for government slots was chosen specifically to be too small for guns. And I don't know if there's any truth to that, but in the years since, they've come up with smaller guns, so now there's a ban. It's not universal. None of the rules are. In New York State, you can't store anything that could conceivably be used as a weapon. Some folks have been turned away with their grandmother's sewing kit. In Delaware, you can put a grenade in if it fits. But here in California, you can't store guns, and every Sunday someone's out in the parking lot protesting. On the other side of the lot is an assortment of the outraged devout. Every religion, it seems, has a branch or denomination that considers what goes on here heretical. They stop people on their way in, the same way members of the Forward Club do, but instead of trying to convince people to put the latest gadgets in their slots so as to keep the next life as advanced as this one, they try to convince them not to use the slots at all. If God exists, do you think these things will help you, they ask? And if God doesn't exist, do you think these things will help you then? Some people stop and listen. Most don't. It's hard to uppercase God in a place like this. Otherwise, it's quiet. The most excitement we get for the rest of the day is when a detective and a plainclothes show up with a warrant. I shuffle over to the hallway where the slot they're looking for is. I watch the guy from the law enforcement liaison's office turn the master key. The detective looks inside. It's empty. When did it clear? The detective asks. The liaison officer checks the paperwork. It never did, he says. It's always been empty. The detective curses. He hands the slot back to the liaison officer and walks off, the plainclothes following. Most people would never guess it, but almost all the government slots are empty. People rush to get on waiting lists for them rush to stake their claim as soon as their children are born sometimes even before their children are born but they hardly ever get around to putting anything inside there are books you can buy seminars you can attend a whole industry of advice on what to bring with you but people just don't follow through they die in car crashes and house fires and of sudden failures of the heart and of the blood and they never believe such things are coming and even if they did it would make no difference. We weren't built to think this way, to imagine the else space of our lives. We don't know how not to know. Here, and I'd bet at every other center, most of the government slots are taken, and most of the government slots are
0: empty. A memory stick full of movies and songs, a small jar of sand, A resume. We close early on Christmas Day. The inspectors and the security guards and the other janitors go home. A day's worth of time and a half pocketed. I stay to do the overnight clean. It's quiet at night. I like it when it's quiet. They make a sound, the boxes. It's a soft thing, like breathing, and hardly anybody notices it. During the day, it hides behind the background noise of the place, the sound of people arguing, the beep of the metal detector, and the squeak of soles against the linoleum. But at night, you can hear it. It's the sound of air rushing in. When a box empties, it empties completely, and were it not for a small pneumatic hose attached to the bottom of each one, the slots would crumple in on themselves every time. The hose pumps air in, and the air wards off collapse. It's a sound like a sharp breath through the nostrils, a whispered leave-taking. A little after midnight, a young woman starts slamming her hands on the front doors. The sound is loud enough that I hear it from one of the hallways. She's yelling to be let in. I walk to the lobby to see what's going on, and I make the mistake of letting her see me. They come to the center after hours sometimes, and we're never supposed to let them in. We're supposed to ignore them, and if they get too violent, we're supposed to call the overnight guard. But I make the mistake of letting her see me, and once she does, she starts begging me to come closer, to just listen. I know it's a bad idea, but I walk toward her until I'm standing on the other side of the locked door. The evening sleet has made a mess of her. She waves papers at me, waves a key. He doesn't have time, she says, please. I can't help you, I reply. I I hold my mop up to her as though it proves something. Then she screams at me. Not words, just a sound. An emptying. I don't know what to do. I take my key out. I open the door. She pushes past me, and as she does, she shoves a few sheets of paper at my chest. It's the usual stuff, photocopies of driver's licenses, a power of attorney, the expedited processing form any doctor will fill out for a couple hundred bucks. She runs down one of the hallways. I follow, watching. She stumbles, gets the wrong box at first, then the right one. I can tell it's pointless before she even turns the key. The light has already changed from green to amber, but I don't tell her. I watch her open the box, and I watch her look inside. I watch her fall to the floor. What's human about us is a burden, I think. I walk to where she is. The sound of the mop bucket's wheels against the ground seems, for the first time, obscene to me. I lift the bucket slightly, and within the walls the whispered rush of nothings is once again audible. I set the bucket back down. I let the wheels squeak. She sits there, vacant. She holds a chocolate cupcake, half mashed in her hand. The inspectors would have never allowed it. I want to ask her a question, but I think I already know the answer. People die a long time before they're dead. So instead I tell her the same trite thing I've heard a million times. The thing the counselors say to people who show up too late. People who waited too long. People who just didn't see it coming. You know, they have no proof, I say. It could just as easily be these things go nowhere. It could be they just disappear. Nobody really knows. She looks up at me and I think she's going to slap me. Instead, she laughs. You see that a lot too, people laughing. She smears the cupcake against the floor the way a smoker puts a cigarette out. She stands up and walks past me. She doesn't bother taking back her forms. Another thing you notice working here, they don't walk out the same way they walk in. If they show up confident, purposeful, they walk out looking at the floor. If they show up broken, they walk out with their heads held high. Something about this place does that to people it inverts them. I dip the mop. I clean the mess she's left behind. There's a window at the end of each hallway, but the sleet has turned heavy, and I can't see much outside.
2: Government Slots by Omar al Hey, guys.
4: Hello.
0: Uh
2: Hi. Um,
0: I'm thinking I, because of the difficulty with not hmm. being able to see each other, I think I'll just ask for everyone's thoughts and I'll just go down the line that I'm seeing. Is that okay? Sure. Yeah. I think I'm going to ask Omar first, what was it like to hear this story read out loud?
3: <laughs> I mean, um, besides mortifying, I, uh, <laughs> um, you know, when after I, I uh, a few years ago now I sold my, my debut novel and, um, About a year later, my my late editor, Sonny Mehta, called me into his office in New York, and he wanted to show me the uh, short list of cover designs um, for the novel. And it was this incredibly overwhelming thing, because it was the first time that I had seen somebody far more talented than myself use my work as a baseline to create their own art. And it is this thing that to this day fills me with, with a kind of awe um and and in this case i've i to sit here and, and have it happen multiple times at once to see these artists put together um their own art with my work as a baseline is is deeply mortifying because i i heard all the parts where my run-on sentences really gave them a challenge and my horrible <laughs> echo use and all the rest of it um but it was. Um, I'm I'm very very grateful for this experience. Thank you so much for setting it up and and for these really excellent readings.
0: <clears throat> oh, Omar, thanks for your generosity in sharing the story. And I'd love to hear everybody's response. Uh, Barbie, how was it to read the piece?
4: Um, I um I had to mute myself the whole time that I'm listening to other stories because they're so emotional. Um, it is really makes me reflect on my own life and my life experiences in this challenging way um it, it, a few days ago was just my grandmother's fifty year anniversary since her passing so it kind of brings me back to the hospital somehow um i love the stories uh i i love the writing it's I, I get a little nervous like reading things out loud just because English is not my first language. So sometimes I'm like, Oh my god, I sound like a
1: dumbass. <laughs>
4: and I just swear so great. Um Yeah. Okay, we're gonna stop talking quick.
1: Yeah. Um this was great. I I particularly um I enjoyed reading, like when I got sent these pages of reading it and slowly figuring, you know, you it took me a little while just to figure out what was happening, you know, what what it was all about. And um, I, I really like that the um, sort of the narrator of these. And I, I, I'm assuming that it's the same. I mean, we've decided to break this up, but it's one. I love it. It's just like it's like the janitor, <laughs> you know, who just happens to see all this stuff and just. Just observes on observes it from such a, a objective point of view. Um, so I, I like that distance he he kind of has, and uh, that one about the um, about the small boy just I just breaks me up thinking about it. you know it's just such uh, that's a deep. They're all great. That one for me really that that's a deep piece that 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 really is so. Thank you. that this was this was great. Thank you.
5: Hello. <laughs> I had um two completely different experiences. i the first time I read um, read the stories was um, at night, and my husband had fallen asleep, and i I couldn't fall asleep. So I pulled out my iPhone and I read the stories, <laughs> scrolling in the dark, <laughs> sitting on my phone um and i kept wanting to like i resisted the urge to wake him up to talk about it and then i had a, a dream that was very much associated to this writing um and about thinking about you know um our existence and what is next and certainly a lot of those kinds of questions are happening now that we're all just at home in our little boxes think with our with, alone with our thoughts um but i i um i found it very Emotional, and I loved all the, the the different stories of the people that that come through the the center. Um, and then, in reading it out loud with all of these wonderful voices, I um, I heard it again as as kind of like what Duffy was explaining is like a an interview with with the janitor at the place where the sausage is made. You know, where you get to see behind the scenes. Everything kind of came outside of my little phone, and 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 it was also yeah really interesting. Omar, I didn't feel like your run-ons were um, uh, uh, awkward as as a performer, as a as a speaker. I felt like that's how people talk. Our thoughts are often, you know. St- in these strings of thoughts and, you know, maybe, uh, aren't the grammar isn't particularly perfect. Um, I don't, and, uh, and I just loved, I loved hearing everybody, um, and their interpretations. This is really, really special, special piece of writing. Thank you for allowing us to get inside it.
0: Yeah, I really, I agree with Meredith, in that it just felt as though it was meant to be read aloud. I, I loved hearing everybody's voice, and I, so I agree with that wholeheartedly. Keisha, what you what were was going through your mind?
2: I want to say ditto on everybody. It's like I mean like <laughs> I think at this point uh, you know it's all it's all been said structurally um, going through the experience of reading it out loud tap into the that emotion and the story or the piece of the that barbie read in particular with the the small boy like kind of ripped my little my little heartstrings out so um i i thought that was all pretty pretty amazing and i went through and as as everybody was reading and i realized that i had actually highlighted from someone else's uh, piece before because I just thought it was really beautifully captured. The moment of the physicist where she places the cat's collar inside and then um, it's that at first she checks on it hourly, then daily, then once a month. And then, because she's become like her name's become sort of like a laughing stock, she retreats from the world. And then the cat's collar sits in that box for years untouched. Like that—that's something that I feel like everybody has. That cat's collar, everybody has that that talisman. Um, but the 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 ease in which it fits into this story but also like the conciseness in which you were able to omar was able to write it um and infuse that into the story um is pretty spectacular and i think that there's there's all those little sweet uh human be just being a human gems that come up in all uh throughout the whole the whole book or all through the stories yeah,
0: I agree that one of the sections that I read, she smears the cupcake against the floor the way a smoker puts a cigarette out. And I could just feel that mush under my front of my foot. It just, it's really beautiful. And, and I loved about something about this place does that to people. It inverts them just, you know, beautiful writing and so evocative.
1: Yeah, Definitely.
0: I wanted to uh, give everyone the opportunity to to talk about anything that they're doing that they want people to know about. I know Meredith's got some really cool stuff going down. You want to start? Sure. It it feels kind of funny to
5: talk about myself when like we're celebrating Omar <laughs> and his work. So I say it a little very sheepishly um and, and hopefully humbly. Um, I'm half of a, a Folk Americana duo called Siren Songs, and we have a new album coming out on May 29th.
2: Awesome.
0: Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing to keep yourself occupied, Barbie?
4: Um, I'm learning a lot of things that I've always wanted to learn, so I'm learning Japanese, I'm learning how to play the guitar, ugh, my fingers are horrible. They feel like creatures, they don't feel like fingers, or they feel like toes. You know, like they just don't go where I want them to go. Um, and uh, I've been reading a play with um, a bunch of my college friends that were all in the theater department every Sunday. So we're going to read another one this Sunday, which is really fun and it's been really grounding. So that's nice, yeah.
0: So Duffy, what are you going to be doing for your birthday or what are you up to?
1: Oh boy. You know, it's funny, I'm um, I'm staying busy, I'm, I, I, it's kind of ideal in a way, because I love watching old movies, I've been learning how to play guitar as well, Barbie, so I know the, the calluses, you know, and so I've really, yeah, I've really been enjoying that, I've been enjoying like when the weather is nice in the evening, getting like really anal and digging all of the dandelions out you know, I've got a screwdriver and I get down there and I like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Things like that, you know, some gardening and, and because I can't go do anything really, you know, I mean, there are certain things that you just can't do. That little nagging voice in my head that usually says, really, is this, is this how you're spending your time? You're just going to sit here and watch an old movie. Now I'm like, hell yeah, I was going <laughs> to sit here, I'm going to watch this movie. So that little voice has been muted a little bit. So I've appreciated, I've appreciated that. And just taking bike rides, I've really, you know, I've really enjoyed the simplicity of of certain things. I mean, it's different and I don't know where this is all going. And I'm so sad for theater and entertainment and performance in general. I have no idea what's around the bend but it's but in the moment it's um, I'm, I'm trying to make them I'm trying to make the most out of it inside my own head as opposed to I haven't written the great American novel, but I'm not beating myself up for it so it's pretty good.
0: We can leave that to Omar.
1: There, there you go. You. No. <laughs> but Omar, that's you- great writing. Thank you. That that was that's really really nice stuff.
3: Sure. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. When you can read it over and over and over again, and kind of get choked up, like, over and over and over, that says something, you know, that there's really chords being hit that just really resonate really deeply. And Sometimes you're not even really sure why, but it does. It's, It's really deep in there. So congratulations, for sure.
3: Thank you. That's very kind of you.
0: Yeah. Keisha, how are you keeping yourself occupied right
2: now? I know you're busy at Artist Rep. Yeah, I mean, I feel pretty fortunate that um, I do work for a theater company that has not thus far um, furloughed or laid off any of its employees. So um, I'm just at home, plugging away, uh, trying to sell the invisible of uh what is theater going to be like when we're allowed to leave our houses because we don't know um so it, it's been a lot of pontificating about um our genre our work or um you know even just what what it means just to be in a community and 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 have a job that is 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 really um Meant to bring people together and foster discussion, um, and so in a time in which uh, we are being told to to stay apart, um, you know, the, trying to figure out ways in which when when some of that is relaxed, um, what does that landscape look like? Uh, so that's been that. So there's a lot of sort of um, head stuff for me. So at night, I've been reading a lot. I'm a pretty furious reader. I read like 300 books last year. Um, that I will overtake that this one because like I just just, as soon as I stop doing that like I can't go anywhere so I'm just like on my on my uh on my couch reading but you know steadily working through that uh TBR
0: pile. We can look forward to a top 10 books to read from Keisha in the future and a top 10 old movie to watch from Duffy.
1: (laughs) Sounds good. Omar, know. how? Are, but funny it's, because I just watched. You can't take it with you. Oh. <laughs> maybe, maybe you can. I don't know. That.
0: <laughs> Omar, how are you keeping yourself occupied?
3: We have a two-year-old at home, so I'm uh, I'm putting on a lot of makeup that I otherwise would not be putting on. A uh, lot of nail polish that I otherwise would not be putting on. I'm playing a lot of very obvious hide and seek where I'm told in advance where to hide, and then I'm berated for not doing a good enough job of hiding in said place, um, that sort of thing. It's actually, you know, it's, it's, it's been a doubly strange few months. I, I handed in the manuscript for my newest novel, uh, I think a day into our self-quarantine. It's this thing I'd been working on for three, three years that has sort of consumed my life. And so on one hand, it was this incredible lightness, but then on the other, I'm sitting here, you know, counting my fingers over and over again because this thing that had sort of taken up a lot of my time is is now in the ether um, being sold to, you know, foreign rights people or whatever. Um, so I've done the usual assortment of very unadvisable things. Uh, I tried working out and immediately blew up my knee. Um, never work out while you're watching a documentary on the mid-90s Chicago Bulls. Uh, it makes you think you're a lot more athletic than you actually are. Um so yeah, it's been it's been the first few weeks were, were really rough, um, and now I'm I'm in the mindset of trying to as much as possible enjoy this time with my family. That I know as soon as we turn back to ultra capitalism, <laughs> will be slashed uh, as we return to like hyper productivity mode. Um, so it's just it's been a it's been a very sharp right turn sort of emotionally, um, trying to figure out. How to be in this in this space, especially since I don't know how long it's going to last as well, uh, which I don't think is that much different from most people just trying to sort of find their space in a, in a in a new world.
0: Well, it it's especially wonderful I think to talk with a group of us together about these things because um, Omar, the way you are talking about how you're moving through life right now and everyone else as well. I think um, we as artists sometimes, well, I don't know if it's true or not, but we are comfortable with sharing thoughts about such things. And I think it can really help people um, kind of come to speak what's happening for them as well.
3: Mm Yeah, absolutely.
0: I really appreciate everybody's willingness to well, you to give us your story and everybody to agree to read and then to share what's also happening with them personally. It's just a wonderful way to be together. It would only be better if we were in the same room and having, you know, a nice glass of wine or anything else we like.
2: See <laughs> next time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just want to thank everybody for joining me and I'll look forward to seeing you on the other side. <laughs> <laughs>
3: thank wow. you, thank Jenna.
1: Thanks. Thanks. So much. Thank you, everybody.
2: Thank you.
0: Bye.
4: Bye. Bye. Adventures
0: in Artslandia. We've shared our
3: points of view.
0: This is David Safford playing.